Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Every Coach Needs a Coach, the podcast for coaches of all sports and all levels to learn from coaches they may otherwise never have the chance to meet. I'm your host, Coach Kelly, and I'm excited to have our guest on today, who has wanted to be a coach since seventh grade when she first started playing basketball. She loved the impact that her coaches made on her from the very beginning, and she knew that she wanted to make the same impact on others. While she was majoring in coaching at Mason State, she had her first daughter named Noelle. Noelle had many medical complications and was later diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. So coaches coaching took a back seat to Noelle's medical and life demands. When Noelle was about seven years old and more medically stable, an opportunity came up for coach to be the JV girls basketball coach at Dayspring Christian Academy in Colorado. She expected to learn a lot there as the JV coach. However, the very next year, she became the varsity coach and gives a lot of credit to the Point Guard College basketball community for giving her the tools and resources that she needed to be, build a great foundation with very little coaching experience. She was the varsity coach at Dayspring Christian for three years and took the team further than they had ever been in school history. She also had her younger two children while she was coaching there. Then the opportunity arose to transition to being the team chaplain for the University of Northern Colorado women's basketball team, and she moved into that role. She's now entering her second season with the UNC Bears. She has a wonderful husband named Dustin and is the mom of three beautiful children. Welcome and thank you so much for being here, Coach Bo. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, Coach. So I always start with my first question, which is pretty simple, and it's why do you coach? Awesome. Well, I coach, like I said, um, ever since I started sports, which I started later than most people. But when I did start in seventh grade, I just, I automatically felt and saw the impact that the coaches had in my life. And I automatically knew like, that's what I want to do. I want to impact other people's lives and I want to, you know, encourage them that they could be more and do more than they believe they can. Definitely. Um, Tell me a little more about how you started basketball. You're right. It's, it's later than most. Yeah, so I grew up in Albuquerque, um, New Mexico, and my family moved to Colorado when I was in seventh grade. And uh, my parents had four kids, and so money was always tight. So when we lived in Albuquerque, sports wasn't even um, a thing on our minds because we just couldn't afford it. And I moved uh, to a small school. It's a small 2A school. And um, they asked me during our first, uh, when we first started registering, they said, would you like to be in sports class? And I was like, well, sports class, what's that? Sure. So um, at the time, middle schoolers practiced um, the last hour of the day. So that was just built into the schedule. Your practice was then. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I signed up for it and I moved in November. So they were in the middle of basketball season. And mm-hmm. I remember walking into practice that first day there was kids in front of me doing layups and I had no idea what I was doing. I don't even know if I'd ever really dribbled a basketball, but I just looked at the person in front of me and tried to emulate what they were doing. And I, um, I just kind of, that was where my sports career started. And I ended up going from never playing sports to basically being a four sport athlete from um, then on and just working as hard as I could to kind of make up the time that I didn't have on the court compared to, you know, everybody else on my team. Yeah. Wow. What other sports did you play? Um, so I ran track, I did volleyball, and I was a competitive cheerleader. Wow. What about basketball made basketball the one you wanted to coach? 
Oh, well, so I always, I used to always say I would coach either volleyball or basketball. Um, obviously, basketball was kind of more my go-to sport because I think um, I'm pretty aggressive and, and such a competitor. So I loved that side of basketball. I loved the contact of it. I loved just playing the game. Um, as far as coaching, I really thought that I could coach either because I like the dynamic of coaching either. And then after the fact, when I started coaching outside of high school, um, I coached a little bit of middle school volleyball and a little middle school basketball. Then there was no doubt in my mind that basketball was definitely the sport I wanted to coach just, again, because of that, being able to teach that competitiveness and um, just the heart and the passion in it, which of course there's that in volleyball too. I just definitely resonated more with the game of basketball and um, just wanted to learn it more and learn, you know, the ins and outs and just kind of, I don't know, just, just, I felt like the game was just an open, an open book and I wanted to learn more about it. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Um, awesome. So we talked a little before we, we jumped on here about your current responsibilities as, uh, as the team chaplain for the UNC Bears. Tell me, um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it is just an amazing opportunity to be able to pour into both the coaches and the athletes um, at UNC. And I'm really there just as a support role to give them anything they need if it's um, spiritual guidance or just uh, cultural impact. Uh, I'm there to serve the team. My job really is to just be a servant leader. And in exchange for it, I also get to be around the game at a high level and I get to sit on the sidelines as a coach and continue as a coach and a student, actually. I mean, I get to learn the game at the next level. I get to see things that obviously as a high school coach, you know, you are so there's so many responsibilities on your plate and there's so much you have to do that you don't often get the time to just sit back and watch the game for the game's sake. And yeah. right now I'm in a season of really being able to do that. And I'm able to watch, um, you know, and at the college level, the mistakes are harder to spot because they're way better. But when I'm actually starting to see mistakes at this level, I know my basketball IQ is improving. So it's been a blessing on that side just to be able to be around it and to see, um, just to see this level. But um, really, I'm just there as a team support and to be there a resource for the coaches, just whatever I can do um, to help out. I think that's such an amazing role to have. And I think it's so important. I think that culture and, and support go into the, go further into the win-loss column than you probably give yourself credit for. Um, have you, have you noticed any like specific challenges in that realm? Are people generally receptive? Or is there like a way that things are done that you would either um, like to see maybe changed or adjusted or, or expanded on, anything like that? Um, I would agree that this role is definitely um, very important and very uh, needed. But like you said, you may, not, you may not appreciate it much. I think at the college level, there is so much put into so many other things, obviously. Um, you know, it runs a little bit more like an organization and more like a business. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, sometimes I think that that one-on-one -on -one connection with the player and valuing them 
as a person and seeing them as more than a basketball player, that's easy to get lost. So I do love the opportunity that I have just to, to see that part of the player and to love on it. And I mean, our coaching staff does an amazing job of it. And um, I think they exemplify, you know, being a, a, um, a transformational coach, transformational coaches as opposed to just transactional coaches. Sure. But still at the end of the day, they're running a college program and they have a lot on the line and they have a lot on their plates. So I think it's an amazing opportunity to, um, to just be there and pour into it. And I don't think it's something that, you know, is always appreciated as much. It's probably the first thing you would, you know, mark off the list of things that are necessary. But like you said, it probably goes farther um, than you would, you would first think. Definitely. I like that transformational versus transactional. Quotient. Yes. Definitely. Um, do you have specific strategies that you've either put in with your teams or are trying to put in at this college level uh, as far as like standards or, or practices before practice or before games, things that help develop the type of culture that you want to create? Yes, absolutely. I would say I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like at the college level, but definitely in my high school program, um, every day we would spend 10 minutes on something that was non-basketball and um, it was valuable 10 minutes, I know, because 10 minutes of practice, that's a lot of time. But we would um, do different things. Monday, it would be Motivational Monday. Um, Tuesday, it would, I, I can't remember all of the exact days. But um, Tuesday would have a thing. Wednesday was Workbook Wednesday. Thursday was Thankful Thursday. And we would be intentional about um, about these things. And I would have a topic that we would talk about maybe for one week, sometimes two weeks. So maybe one week it was motivation. So um, that first day we would talk, you know, specifically about motivation. I'd film a video or I'd read him something important. And um, that my, my players began to know that that was just part of our culture. And instead of just talking about the things that were important to me, I would actually teach them. Um, my favorite thing to teach on was uh, grit. And I definitely think I saw the most impact from actually teaching that because I think there was some some athletes who I would um, say, you know, you need to be tough, you need to be mentally tough, you need to get gritty, but they didn't actually know what that meant. And I think taking the time to teach it and to give examples of it and, um, you know, spend that valuable practice time actually letting them learn and understand it, I think it paid dividends. I had girls who were the most mentally tough on my team who in the beginning of the season, I would have thought they wouldn't be, but I think that teaching, they understood it differently and they took it on themselves and they were able to then produce the character quality that I was asking for. So I think that it's definitely worth the investment. If the things are important to you in your culture, then it's important to teach it just like any other part of the game is important to teach. How do you teach people grit? Like we diamonds in the rough. <laughs> Um, like we talked about in the beginning of this, uh, or before this, sorry, let me restart. That's okay. Uh, like we talked about when, uh, before we started recording, I do have a daughter who is, um, diagnosed with muscular dystrophy and she lives in a wheelchair and I definitely was able to deal with everything, um, that I've had to deal with, with her and all of her medical complications with so much, 
mental toughness and grit because it was something I learned on the basketball court. And um, it's something, obviously for me, that's a big uh, area of my life that I get to use then to teach others. I get to teach girls what it looks like firsthand because not only do they see my daughter living in a wheelchair and with challenges, but they see me mothering her and they see me choosing to be mentally tough. Um, so I think the number one way that I teach grit or I've taught grit is by showing people that I am a greedy person. Um, other strategies that I've used is showing other examples of greedy players, of people who are mentally tough, um, of giving them opportunities to think about a challenging situation, whether it be in practice or a game, and how they would handle that. Um, I call it front loading, but I actually give them the opportunity to sit in that um, you know, to sit beforehand and think about that situation and how they're going to show up in that. I think that alone is a great strategy to teach them because then when they find themselves in that situation, they've already been there before and then they can choose what it takes to be gritty. And so if that means, you know, girls, I want you to imagine we're at the end of practice and we just missed our last free throw. That means we have, you know, five, five touches. Um, you know, and you don't want to do it. You want to give up. You're done. What are you going to do? How are you going to show up in that moment? How are you going to encourage your teammates? And if you practiced that beforehand, I can bet you anything by the time that rolls around at practice and you're in that situation, you're going to have people bought and they're going to know what grit looks like in that moment and what choosing mental toughness would look like in that moment. Wow. You said something before about training it the same way you would train any other skill. And I think we take that for granted and it's, it's simple, right? What you just gave is, is simple, but that doesn't make it easy. Right. Yeah. Right. And if we don't think that it can be acquired just like any other skill, then we're going to overlook it. Yeah. Um, you know, if we think that all we need to work on is our, you know, our post up defense and yeah. that's a skill and they need to get better at that skill. Well, I would argue that the other skills, you know, mental toughness and, perseverance and those kind of things, those are skills also that we can teach them if we're willing to take the time to teach them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's great. I'm a, I'm a big believer in you got to be examples to your players and having your family around you. And, and we can dive into this if you're okay with it. Momming five kids, coaching at the high school level, now, now essentially like assistant coaching and being involved at the college level balance I would imagine is a, a hard thing to come by in your life but like kind of walk me through a, a typical day and and how you manage all that yeah and I would say that one of the things I want to um be an example of to my children is that you can be a great parent and a great mom and you can pursue big dreams of your own um, if I could give any gift to my daughters, it would be that. It would be that I can be a mom and I can be here and run a house and love my family well, and I can do bigger things. Um, I, I want them to know that it's not one or the other, that you can do both and you can do them well. And if they choose not to be a mom, I want them to know that they can choose other options, that it's not, that that's not the only um, thing that is going to make them a successful, you know, woman in this world. Yeah. Um, and I would say a typical day for me uh, looks like getting up at 4.40. And uh, my husband and I go to CrossFit every morning at 5.30. Uh, 
AM. Uh, we just started that a year ago and it has drastically changed our life and our marriage. It's made me a better parent. So I'd say first and foremost, um, the most important thing that I, I do is first my faith and then second is taking care of myself and my fitness. Because if I'm not, if I'm not pouring into myself first and putting on my own oxygen mask, then there is no way that I could do any of the rest of it. And so I would say, number one, it's putting, it's putting that first in my life um, and making that I have uh, a way to make sure that that's accomplished. And then after that, it's really, you know, it's really trying to, like you said, it's that balance and it's not always easy. It's definitely, um, definitely sometimes a struggle, but just trying to make sure that I'm present. So if I'm at practice, I'm fully invested and I'm present at practice and I'm all in. And if I'm at home with my kids and my husband, then I'm all in and I'm present and I'm focused with them. So it's, um, it's not like you can get it perfect anytime. You can't, you right. know, you can't get it perfect, but I think just trying to be present in whatever, whatever hat you're wearing at the time is the most, you know, impactful way to try to do, do it all well. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, you're absolutely right. Your fitness, your faith in your fitness, I, I agree with you, are, are the most important things because without either, if, if either of those are taken from you, you're not left with uh, much else. Right. Um, wow. Awesome. Okay. This is, maybe you've already answered this, but I want to give you a, a chance if, if you have anything else that comes to mind. Uh, you sound like a very humble person to me, coach, but since we're here to learn from everybody, is there anything you feel like you do better than anyone else in the world of coaching? Um, I would say one area I have learned to excel in is creating a team that talks and creating a team that communicates. I had the opportunity to have um, a PGC director come to my gym once and um, somebody I really respected and just appreciated so much. And he recognized right away that our program was probably not as successful as it could be because we had a quiet gym. Mm -hmm. And I would say that in, in a world where the X's and O's overwhelm me at times because there's just so much to learn and I don't have all the, you know, I don't have this, this is my defensive strategy and I swear by it, or this is my, you yeah. know, go-to inbound play that I know is the best. Um, that's definitely hasn't been my strength. So the area where I was like, you know what, you know what I can do? I can make sure that I have a team that communicates and that talks. And, um, I definitely think that having high school girls team that communicates constantly, that's talking constantly, um, does set itself, um, apart on the court. Like you can see it, you can see a difference in the dynamic and the culture mm -hmm. of a team that is constantly talking. And I think that it, it did lead to a lot of our success because we didn't have, um, I never really in my program had a group of athletes that were all super, um, super gifted and talented at basketball, but I did have girls who were willing to work hard and to give their all. And, um, with that, if you have that, and then you can create a, a team that is going to out talk the other team. And I mean, not just, not just yell, not just like blah, 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 you know, but yeah. actually have some meaningful, um, you know, insightful communication to each yeah. other, then you can, then you can probably accomplish more than you could have without it. So I think just teaching that dynamic of, 
of communication uh, is definitely an area that I excelled in. Awesome. How, how did you do it? Um, so it was definitely a, just an area, not, not an area that I would um, yell at them for or uh, come down on them, but it was a level of invitation of inviting them to a higher level and constantly in drills and in anything, we would constantly use names. I think number one, players who use each other's names are going to play better together instead of, hey, hey, ball, ball. When you're using a name, it's automatically going to improve the communication. So names are definitely important. So we would even do drills just specifically for names. And it was one of the drills we did called four corner passing. I did get from PGC when I coached a day camp with them. And it was an elementary drill, yet it's profound because if you really want to teach communication and teach names, you're going to have to make that be the focus of the drill. Um, and so we would do that a lot. And then it was just, it was just continuing to hold them to that level of communication and constantly using names. Um, I think that that is another area where as coaches, we can overlook it. We can let our gym be quiet the whole time in all of our drills. And then the second we start scrimmaging, then we're yelling at them. You need to talk, you need to talk. Mm -hmm. But if you're not creating a culture of talking the whole entire time, then that's where you could definitely improve the whole quality of your practice. If they are talking and if that is a standard that you've set and a non-negotiable from the beginning of practice, you're going to get a whole lot more out of the time when they're scrimmaging because they've already been practicing talking for 45 minutes. So, yeah. Is there um, like a specific, like a team glossary almost where there are terms that everybody used that everybody knew what they meant or did you let them kind of decide that? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't, there was not, I mean, there was, there was phrases that we used over and over. And actually, um, at the key five coaching clinic, um, I was able to attend it. They had this form where you did put down your, um, your team's, the use, like you said, glossary. And I think that would have been so impactful to have it written down so that it was intentional and everybody knew. So I do think that um, we probably had phrases we said a lot, but was it actually written down and was it, you know, in a place where everybody could see it? No. Right. And I think that would have made it even more valuable and impactful. Um, but we did run, um, so we ran read and react, mm -hmm. which is definitely an offense that you've got to be able to communicate in because you're giving your players a lot of freedom in being right. able to run that. And um, so you have to trust them that they're going to, you know, to talk to each other. And I think with that, I think that's also part of what made us a great communicating team is because I did give them trust. And of course, you're going to have to, you know, you might lose some things with giving them that extra trust. But I think when you believe in them and you let them experiment with it and you let them almost fail sometimes, yeah. um, in the end, they're going to become better at it and it's going to be worth it. So it's like, what are you willing to give up to learn something new. And I was willing to give up some baskets and points and even some games in order to learn communication um, because I saw that in the end that it would suit us more and that we'd be more successful if we could earn that, if we could learn that communication. That's gold. What are you willing to give up to learn something new? I'm yes. 
I'm taking that. I'm using it today. That's because <laughs> um, you're right. It's so you can lose sight of you, you feel like it's a sacrifice. You know, mm-hmm. oh, we have to emphasize, but we have to. It's like, what's what's your foundation look like? You got to build them a strong foundation. And um, it's really cool that 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 you feel like that's your strength of getting them to to communicate. And I like how you use the word communicate and not just loud. Anybody can be allowed, but to effectively communicate with someone is a, is a skill. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Awesome. Um, cool. Is there a particular game when you were coaching, doesn't matter what level, uh, that stands out to you as like a growing point, either for, for like a high or a low, and what did you learn from it? Yes, absolutely. So. Um, like I've told you, I have definitely, the area that I've had to grow the most in is X's and O's. And uh, there was a team in our league. They were um, definitely the dominant powerhouse in our league. And I, as a JV coach, had lost to them. I think we lost by like 65 points. Oh, so this team always was just one of those that I really wanted to beat. And um, this coach ran um, just an impeccable one, three, one half court trap. And he just mm-hmm. annihilated teams with it. Yep. And, um, I don't have, I did not have a lot of time to go scout teams, obviously with all my kids and everything mm-hmm. else. So I would mostly try to scout on video, but I was actually able to go to one of his games against, um, another local team. And I sat there and I just, you know, I scouted it and I just watched and I saw their dynamics and I saw what they were doing. And I, um, I actually drew up or figured out a way that I was like, okay, this is what we're going to work on. This is how we're going to beat them. And it wasn't, you know, through going to the internet and YouTube and like, how do I beat a one, three, one, how do I do this? It was really me looking at my personnel and what they were playing and figuring it out. And we went, I went back and we just practiced it and we just, we just worked on it over and over and over. And um, so the game that we played against them, um, literally he would not take the one through one trap off the whole entire game. And uh, we started playing and sure enough, what we worked on and our strategy, we totally picked him apart and he had to pull it off. And it was amazing. We ended up winning that game, which was awesome. And um, we ended up me- uh, meeting him in districts at the end of the season, and they were ranked one, and we were ranked fourth, and we ended up beating them again. Wow. Um, and so that was just like, that was amazing. And especially for me, it was a personal success because, sure. um, you know, like I said, I've just doubted my ability to know the game and seeing that, like, I could figure it out and I was able to do it um, kind of on my own without, you know, going to somebody else and going to I, even my assistant coach. Like, I, definitely leaned on him a lot in the, you know, the X's and O's, but Mm -hmm. for me to finally figure it out on my own for once was a huge uh, professional accomplishment for me. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of strength in that and a lot of confidence to exactly like you said, see your personnel and, and figure out how the puzzle pieces can fit to to generate success against the team that obviously had a, had a good scheme about it. Um, yeah. That's really cool. Nice. Um, did that, did that ever happen again? Like maybe in a lesser degree where you like, or were you able to kind of make adjustments better on the fly because of that? Yeah. So that I think 
um, exactly like you said, puzzle pieces, it started making me realize that like, I do have a very strategic brain and I do, you know, if I could start to see the game as the game and as puzzle pieces or as like chess pieces, you know, um, and for me, because I'm so invested in my players and culture, sometimes I do struggle to separate myself and just see the game section of it. And I think that did help my coaching, um, to be able to see it, you know, like you said, from that kind of puzzle piece mentality of like, okay, how does this fit in this? And, um, that was my last season of coaching there. So I didn't, I wasn't able to do, I think as much as I could have maybe the next season in that area, but now my mind can see both. Like I can see it as the game, as the strategic side of it. And then I can also see it, you know, coaching the players and um, more the relational side of it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's like, I don't know, the ultimate threat to have, <laughs> have a, a, a handle on all of that stuff. Yeah. Wow, awesome. Cool. Um, what advice would you give a coach who is just starting out, let's say at the, the high school varsity level? I would definitely give them the advice that they need to go and learn from other coaches <laughs> because I think that um, you can't coach. It's so hard to try to coach on your own and figure it all out on your own. And I would go to other coaches who, um, you know, have strengths that maybe you don't have and learn from them. And then also go to coaches who are similar to you and um, also, you know, learn to refine the things that you are good at. Um, I would definitely say that having a community of coaches is very important and very impactful because there's going to be times when you feel like you're drowning because you will be drowning and then you'll have a game on top of it. You'll have a scouting report and then you'll have a parent who's angry at you and, you know, and, it's, you know, you feel alone and isolated. And like I said, and you're going to feel overwhelmed. So when you can take all of that to a community or another coach who understands it, it's going to help you so much. And um, you're going to need help, obviously, on the court, you're going to need help learning how to relationally take care of your players and parent them. Uh, You're going to need help just personally when you're feeling down and you're feeling defeated and you don't, you're questioning even your own, you know, value and, you know, ability to, you're going to need people to come around you and help lift you up. So I would say, number one, um, you know, have a community that you can learn from and listen to this podcast. Obviously, I love, I love the title of it. Coaches need a coach. Like, that's exactly it. You're going to need a coach. So make sure you find one. And then my other thing would be to write down, you know, in your first season, write down why you're coaching and why you're doing it. Because there's going to be many times when you question why you're doing what you're doing and if you're even making an impact. And if you can go back to that statement and you can go back to what you've written down, then you can remember why you're doing it. And uh, when you feel like everybody's against you, you can go back to it and that can, you know, re-energize you and recharge you and be like, this is what I'm doing it for this is my why. And, um, that's going to help you to keep moving forward. That's really great advice. Thank you. Um, did you, did you write down your why when you first started coaching? Um, I did write down my why, um, because I did attend, um, 
thankfully I attended a PGC coaching clinic um, my first year. And that is where I uh, like already began to build that community mm-hmm. and build seeing coaching through other people's eyes and um, kind of that help. And not, not even that I knew any coaches personally, I would say, but I would follow them um, on social media or I would, you know, use the resources that PGC had on YouTube. And I would really, um, I would really glean from them. But um, they definitely, that's who I learned writing down your why from. Uh, they have what they call as a commitment statement. And it's the commitment statement you're writing down to yourself um, and your place, your team, why you're doing it. And so thankfully, I had um, the opportunity to write that down in the very beginning. Uh, because like I said, <laughs> there was times when I questioned why I was doing it, what it, you know, what was this all even for? And there was many times I had to go back to that statement and reread it and reaffirm my why. I think we all have those. So some days more than others and some seasons more than others, but we all have a, why did I do this again? Moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did it ever change? Did your why ever change? Um, yes, I think my why definitely evolved as I, well, I think probably my why evolved as I evolved even as a parent, yeah. because parenting definitely helps, you know, with the perspective and seeing um, what you're doing. And I think it's easy as a first year coach to go out there and kind of have goals or ambitions that are maybe more about like what your team looks like on paper, you know, your wins and your losses and your um, kind of seeing your success that way. And I think as you coach, your success starts to change and your why will start to change. And the more that you invest in your players and your program and your culture, I think definitely you will see, you could see your why change. And that's, that's what happened to me. I think in the beginning it was a little more, superficial. I mean, I always wanted to make an impact, mm-hmm. but I think my why definitely has changed. And um, if, if, and when I get the opportunity to coach again, I think my why will be probably different from the beginning um, than it was when I first started coaching. Yeah. I think that's healthy though. Like you need to constantly kind of reflect back and have your values. And, and I like what you said there. I'm, I'm not a parent yet. Um, and exactly like you said, my first year coaching, it was how, how good am I as a coach? Uh, mm-hmm. I measured it in wins and losses and practice plans and everything else. And luckily, early in my coaching career, I'm realizing, like, it's not it, – that, that has a little bit to do with it, but not very much. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, all right, Coach. As we kind of finish up here, do you have – a resource or two or three, how many you want? Uh, could be like a book or a movie, a podcast, a video show, anything um, that you would recommend to other coaches to help them improve. Um, yes. So one uh, podcast that I really loved is or love is called um, Hardwood Hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think has some really great um really great resources of both X's and O's and on the court, but also resources beyond the court and kind of, um, you know, just as far as being a coach to your players and the relational side of it. So 
I definitely recommend um, Hardwood Hustle. Awesome. Um, a non-basketball book that I absolutely loved reading is called um, The Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencioni. I think that's how you pronounce it. Already? Um, but that is actually a, um, it's kind of a business book, but I absolutely loved the strategies and the thoughts that it provoked. It, mm -hmm. um, it is an easy read and it's, got a story inside of a story so it's a really um it's a really easy read it feels like you're reading a non-fiction book but um or sorry it, it feels like you're reading a fiction book yeah. but it just the the principles and the thoughts behind it are great and I did try to um put a lot of those into my team and it basically says that the ideal team player is humble hungry and smart and um thinking of how can I develop a player who is humble, hungry, and smart? So I really loved that book. Cool. And music. I think it just, I think any of the um, PGC books are great, especially stuff good players should know. Mm -hmm. I actually had my players, I um, bought a copy for each player and would have them take notes in it and write down things. And then as they were a senior, they would write a letter to the incoming freshman and they would give their book to the incoming freshman. So that incoming freshman would receive a, a letter from a former player and then also receive all the notes the highlights that that other play, player had left in the book for them. And I think that was a really awesome idea in culture. And you could do that with any book that you find important or impactful that you would want your players to read. But I think that freshman getting a letter specifically from somebody who's four years farther on the journey than them yeah. is amazing. And the words that your players will write down will be just, they're amazing. And I think that that incoming freshman can receive those words differently than even if it was the coach saying it. Cause obviously we're going to tell them, you know, these four years are going to go faster than you'd ever believe. And yeah. it's going to be gone before you know it, but hearing them from, you know, that, that senior player that they've watched play and then them writing it, you know, directly to them. I think that, is very impactful and I that was that was something I loved doing. That's a really cool idea. Awesome. Um, I recently came across Stuff Good Players Should Know and I was so mad that like I'm almost 30 years old and this was the first time I was hearing about that book. <laughs> yes. The other good one um, is running the show that you could give to a point guard or um, any leader on your team. Um, that was also an amazing book, um, Running the Show by Dick DiVinzio. That was a great one. Okay, awesome. Those are great. Any others? Not that I can think of right now, no. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, like I said, I'll put a link to all those in the, in the show notes so that people can, uh, can go out and get those and um, and have like start, you know, like I said, kind of building a, a resource library for coaches who yeah. might need, yeah, I need, I need a book for player development or I need a, I need a podcast episode for, for connecting with a player, that kind of stuff. Awesome. Um, awesome. Well, coach, thank you so much um, for coming on. If, um, if anybody listening wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so I, um, you can email me at ihavethejoy at gmail.com. Okay. And um, otherwise, I'm pretty, Facebook is what I use mostly, and it's just Tina Bove. 
um, you can search that on Facebook. Awesome. I'll make sure I spell it right on the episode so people know who to search for. <laughs> awesome. Really, actually, can I tell you my Twitter handle? Or yeah, please. Absolutely. I don't know it off the top of my head. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I, look it up. Oh, okay. Um, they could also follow me on Twitter at Coach Tina Bow. So just T-I-N-A-B-E-A-U. Awesome. Coach Bo, thank you so much. Is there any uh, any last parting words of advice you would want to give our coaches? You gave us some some awesome little nuggets in there. I have a lot of stuff that I'll take away and use today. Um, but is there anything else you would want to put out there into the coaching community? Um, I would just say, just remember why you love the game. And like today at practice, um, at at college practice, I just, watching two of the post players, they have been friends for years, they live together, but the, watching them compete against each other with so much joy and a love for the game was just inspiring to me. I think sometimes we can work so hard at things and we can pick apart the details of a play or of this or that or our team or anything, and we forget to just enjoy it. And that was probably my favorite part of practice today, to watch two seniors compete their hearts out on the court with joy and smiles and laughter. So just remember that, that this is, you know, the game is supposed to be fun. It's called a game for a reason. And uh, we got into this for a reason. And just don't lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day, if you're not having fun and your players aren't having fun, then, then something probably needs to change because it's supposed to be fun. It's a game. It's not, it's not work. It's a game. So yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, well, Coach, thank you so much um, for being on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That was Coach Tina Beauvais, who is currently serving as the team chaplain for the UNC Bears women basketball team in Colorado. If you'd like to reach out to Coach Bo, you can reach her via Twitter at Coach Tina, T-I-N-A, Bo, B-E-A-U. Thank you guys so much for listening to Every Coach Needs a Coach. We'll catch you next time.